Chapter 19 Of the ingenious method pursued to withdraw our enamored knight from the rigorous penance which he had imposed on himself. As soon as the priest had done speaking, Sancho said, By my troth, Senor, it was my master who did that feat, not but that I gave him fair warning and advised him to mind what he was about, telling him that it was a sin to set them at liberty, for they were all going to the galleys for being most notorious villains. Blockhead, said Don Quixote, knights errant are not bound to inquire whether the fettered and oppressed are brought to that situation by their faults or their misfortunes. It is their part to assist them under oppression and to regard their sufferings, not their crimes. I encountered a bead roll and string of miserable wretches and acted towards them as my profession required of me. As for the rest, I care not, and whoever takes it amiss, saving the holy dignity of Senior the Licentiate and his reverend person, I say, he knows but little of the principles of chivalry, and this I will maintain with the edge of my sword. Dorothea was possessed of too much humor and spreadly went not to join with the rest in their diversion at Don Quixote's expense, and perceiving his wrath, she said, Sir Knight, be pleased to remember the boon you have promised me, and that you are thereby bound not to engage in any other adventure, however urgent, therefore assuage your wrath, for had Senior the Licentiate known that the galley slaves were freed by that invincible arm, he would sooner have sewed up his mouth with three stitches, and thrice have bitten his tongue, then he would have said a word that might redound to the disparagement of your worship. I, verily I would, exclaimed the priest, or even have plucked off one of my mustachios. I will say no more, madam, said Don Quixote, and I will repress that just indignation raised within my breast, and quietly proceed until I have accomplished the promised boon. But, in requital, I beseech you to inform me of the particulars of your grievance, as well as the number and quality of the persons on whom I must take due, satisfactory, and complete revenge. That I will do most willingly, answered Dorothea, but yet I fear a story like mine, consisting wholly of afflictions and disasters, would prove but a tedious entertainment. Never fear that, madam, cried Don Quixote. Since, then, it must be so, said Dorothea, be pleased to lend me your attention. With that Cardinio and the barber gathered up to her, to hear what kind of story she had provided so soon, Sancho did the same, being no less deceived in her than his master, and the lady having seated herself well on her meal, after coughing once or twice, and other preparations, very gracefully began her story. First. Gentlemen, said she, you must know my name is here she stopped short and could not call to mind the name the curate had given her, whereupon finding her in a nonplus, he made haste to help her out. It is not at all strange, said he, madam, that you should be so discomposed by your disasters as to stumble at the very beginning of the account you are going to give of them. Extreme affliction often distracts the mind to that degree and so deprives us of memory that sometimes we for a while can scarce think on our very names. No wonder, then, that the princess Mycomicona, lawful heiress to the vast kingdom of Mycomicon, disordered with so many misfortunes, and perplexed with so many 
Darius' thoughts for the recovery of her crown should have her imagination and memory so encumbered, but I hope you will now recollect yourself and be able to proceed. I hope so too, said the lady, and I will endeavor to relate my story without further hesitation. Now, then, gentlemen, that the king my father, who was called Tanacrio the Sage, having great skill in the magic art, understood by his profound knowledge in that science, that Queen Zaramilla, my mother, should die before him, that he himself should not survive her long, and I should be left an orphan. But he often said that this did not so much trouble him as the foresight he had, by his speculations, of my being threatened with great misfortunes, which would be occasioned by a certain giant, lord of a great island near the confines of my kingdom, his name Pandaphilando, surnamed of the gloomy sight, because, though his eyeballs are seated in their due place, yet he affects to squint and look askew on purpose to fright those on whom he stares. My father, I say, knew that this giant, hearing of his death, would one day invade my kingdom with a powerful army and drive me out of my territories without leaving me so much as a village for a retreat, though he knew withal that I might avoid that extremity if I would but consent to marry him, but as he found out by his art, he had reason to think I never would incline to such a match. And indeed, I never had any thoughts of marrying this giant, nor any other giant in the world, how unmeasurably great and mighty soever. My father therefore charged me patiently to bear my misfortunes and abandon my kingdom to Pandaphilando for a time without offering to keep him out by force of arms since this would be the best means to prevent my own death and the ruin of my subjects considering the impossibility of withstanding the terrible force of the giant. But withal he ordered me to direct my course towards Spain where I should be sure to meet with a powerful champion in the person of a knight whose fame should at that time be spread over all the kingdom, and his name, my father said, should be, if I forget not, Don Azote, or Don Jigot, and it please you, forsooth, quoth Sancho, you would say Don Quixote, otherwise called the Knight of the Sorrowful Figure. You are right, answered Dorothea, and doubtless I do right in recommending myself to Don Quixote, who so well agrees with my father's description, and whose renown is so far spread, not only in Spain, but over all La Mancha, that I had no sooner landed at Asina, but the fame of his prowess reached my ears, so that I was satisfied he was the very person in quest of whom I came. But pray, madam, cried Don Quixote, how did you do to land at Asina, since it is no seaport town? Doubtless, sir, said the curate, before Dorothea could answer for herself, the princess would say that after she landed at Malaga, the first place where she heard of your feats of arms was Asina. That is what I would have said, replied Dorothea, and now I have nothing more to add, but that fortune has so far favored me as to make me find the noble knight by whose valor I look upon myself as already restored to the throne of my ancestors, since he has so courteously and magnanimously vouchsafed to grant me the boon I begged. For all I have to do is to shew him this Pandaphilando of the gloomy sight, that he may slay him and restore that to me of which he has so unjustly deprived me. For all this will certainly be done with the greatest ease in the world, since it was foretold by Tanacrio the Sage, 
my good and royal father, who has also left a prediction written either in Chaldean or Greek characters, for I cannot read them, which denotes that after the night of the prophecy has cut off the giant's head and restored me to the possession of my kingdom, if he should ask me to marry him, I should by no means refuse him, but instantly put him in possession of my person and kingdom. Well, friend Sancho, said Don Quixote, hearing this, and turning to the squire, what thinkest thou now? Dost thou not hear how matters go? Didn't I tell thee as much before? See now whether we have not a kingdom which we may command, and a queen whom we may espouse. Ah, Mary have you, replied Sancho, and with that, to shew his joy, he cut a couple of capers in the ear, and turning to Dorothea, laid hold on her mule by the bridle, and flinging himself down on his knees, begged she would be graciously pleased to let him kiss her hand in token of his owning her for his sovereign lady. There was none of the beholders, but was ready to burst for laughter, having a sight of the master's madness and the servant's simplicity. In short, Dorothea was obliged to comply with his entreaties and promised to make him a grandee when fortune should favor her with the recovery of her lost kingdom. Whereupon Sancho gave her his thanks in such a manner as obliged the company to a fresh laughter. Then going on with her relation, gentlemen, said she, this is my history, and among all my misfortunes, this only has escaped a recital that not one of the numerous attendants I brought from my kingdom has survived the ruins of my fortune but this good squire with the long beard, the rest ended their days in a great storm, which dashed our ship to pieces in the very side of the harbor. And he and I had been sharers in their destiny had we not laid hold of two planks, by which assistance. We were driven to land in a manner altogether miraculous and agreeable to the whole series of my life, which seems, indeed, but one continued miracle. And if in any part of my relation I have been tedious, and not so exact as I should have been, you must impute it to what Master Curate observed to you in the beginning of my story, that continual troubles oppress the senses and weaken the memory. Those pains and afflictions, be they ever so intense and difficult, said Don Quixote, shall never deter me, most virtuous and high-born lady, from adventuring for your service and enduring whatever I shall suffer in it, and therefore I again ratify the assurances I have given you, and swear that I will bear you company, though to the end of the world, in search of this implacable enemy of yours, till I shall find him, whose insulting head, by the help of heaven and my own invincible arm, I am resolved to cut off with the edge of this, I will not say good, sword, a plague on Guinness to Passamont, who took away my own. This he spoke murmuring to himself, and then prosecuted his discourse in this manner, and after I have divided it from the body, and left you quietly possessed of your throne, it shall be left at your own choice to dispose of your person as you shall think convenient, for as long as I shall have my memory full of her image, my will captivated, and my understanding wholly subjected to her whom I now forbear to name, it is impossible I should in the least deviate from the affection I bear to her, or be induced to think of marrying, though it were a phoenix. The close of Don Quixote's speech, which related to his not marrying, 
touched Sancho so to the quick that he could not forbear bawling out his resentments. Sir Don Quixote, cried he, you are certainly out of your wits, or how is it possible you should stick at striking a bargain with so great a lady as this? Do you think fortune will put such dainty bits in your way at every corner? Is my lady Dulcinea handsomer, do you think? No, Mary, she is not half so handsome. I could almost say she is not worthy to tie this lady's shoelatchets. I am likely, indeed, to get the earldom I have fed myself with the hopes of if you spend your time in fishing for mushrooms at the bottom of the sea. Marry out of hand, I say, and lay hold of the kingdom which is ready to leap into your hands, and as soon as you are a king, make me a marquis or a peer of the land, and afterwards let things go at sixes and sevens, it will be all one to Sancho. Don Quixote, quite divested of all patience at the blasphemies which were spoken against his lady Dulcinea, could bear with him no longer, and therefore, without so much as a word to give him notice of his displeasure, gave him two such blows with his lance, that poor Sancho measured his length on the ground, and had certainly there breathed his last, and not the knight desisted through the persuasions of Dorothea. Thinkest thou, said he, after a considerable pause, most infamous peasant, that I shall always have leisure and disposition to put up with thy affronts, and that thy whole business shall be to study new offenses, and mine to give thee new pardons? Dost thou not know, excommunicated traitor, for certainly excommunication is the least punishment can fall upon thee after such profanations of the peerless Dulcinea's name, and art thou not assured, vile slave and ignominious vagabond, that I should not have strength sufficient to kill a flea, did not she give strength to my nerves and infuse vigor into my sinews? Speak, thou villain with the viper's tongue, who dost thou imagine has restored the queen to her kingdom, cut off the head of a giant, and made thee a marquis, for I count all this as done already, but the power of Dulcinea, who makes use of my arm as the instrument of her act in me. She fights and overcomes in me, and I live and breathe in her, holding life and being from her. Thou base-born wretch! Art thou not possessed of the utmost ingratitude, thou who sayest thyself exalted from the very dregs of the earth to nobility and honor, and yet dost repay so great a benefit with obloquies against the person of thy benefactress? But I pardon thee for this time, added the dawn, and thou must excuse me for what I have done to thee, for the first movements are not in our power. I perceive that well enough, said Sancho, and that is the reason my first thoughts are always on my tongue, and I cannot for my life help speaking what comes uppermost. However, friend Sancho, said Don Quixote, thou hadst best think before thou speakest, for the pitcher never goes so off to the well. No more of this, Sancho, said Dorothea, but run and kiss your lord's hands, and beg his pardon, and, for the time to come, be more advised and cautious how you run into the praise or dispraise of any person, but especially take care you do not speak ill of that lady of Toboso, whom I do not know, though I am ready to do her any service, and trust me you shall have a lordship which shall enable you to live like a prince. Sancho shrugged up his shoulders, and in a humble posture went and asked his master for his hand, 
which he held out to him with a grave countenance, and after the squire had kissed the back of it, the knight gave him his blessing and told him he had a word or two with him, bidding him come nearer that he might have the better convenience of speaking to him. Sancho did as his master commanded, and going a little from the company with him, they conversed a while together. At the conclusion, Sancho said, Good master, you shall not want satisfaction, but, your worship, for the time to come, I beseech you do not be too hasty. What occasion hast thou, Sancho, to make this request? replied Don Quixote. Reason good enough, truly, said Sancho, for the blows you gave me even now were rather given me on account of that quarrel which was stirred up between your worship and me the other night than for your dislike of anything which was spoken against my lady Dulcinea. Piorithi, Sancho, cried Don Quixote, be careful of falling again into such irreverent expressions, for they provoke me to anger and are highly offensive. I pardon thee then for being a delinquent, but thou art sensible that a new offense must be attended with a new punishment. As they were going on in such discourse as this, they saw at a distance a person riding up to them on an ass, who, as he came near enough to be distinguished, seemed to be a gypsy by his habit. But Sancho Panza, who, whenever he got sight of any asses, followed them with his eyes and his heart, as one whose thoughts were ever fixed on his own, had scarce given him half an eye, but he knew him to be Guinness to pass him on, and by the looks of the gypsy found out the visage of his ass, for indeed it was the very same which Guinness had got under him, who, to conceal himself from the knowledge of the public, and have the better opportunity of making a good market of his beast, had clothed himself like a gypsy, the can of that sort of people, as well as the languages of other countries, being as natural and familiar to them as their own. Sancho saw him and knew him, and scarce had he seen and taken notice of him, when he cried out as loud as his tongue would permit him, Ah, thou thief Genesillo! Leave my goods and chattels behind thee, get off from the back of my own dear life, thou hast nothing to do with my poor beast, without whom I cannot enjoy a moment's ease, away from my dapple, away from my comfort. Take to thy heels, thou villain. Hence, thou hedgebird, leave what is none of thine. He had no occasion to use so many words, for Guinness dismounted as soon as he heard him speak, and taking to his heels, got from them, and was out of sight in an instant. Sancho ran immediately to his ass, and embraced him, how hast thou done, cried he, since I saw thee, my darling and treasure, my dear Dapple, the delight of my eyes, and my dearest companion. And then he stroked and slabbered him with kisses, as if the beast had been a rational creature. The ass, for his part, was as silent as could be, and gave Sancho the liberty of as many kisses as he pleased without the return of so much as one word to the many questions he had put to him. At sight of this the rest of the company came up with him and paid their compliments of congratulation to Sancho for the recovery of his ass, especially Don Quixote, who told him that though he had found his ass again, yet would not he revoke the warrant he had given him for three asses, for which favor Sancho returned him a multitude of thanks. While they were traveling together, 
and discoursing after this manner, the curate addressed himself to Dorothea, and gave her to understand that she had excellently discharged herself of what she had undertaken, as well in the management of the history itself, as in her brevity, and adapting her style to the particular terms made use of in books of knight errantry. She returned for answer that she had frequently conversed with such romances, but that she was ignorant of the situation of the provinces and the seaports, which occasioned the blunder she had made by saying that she landed at Asina. I perceived it, replied the curate, and therefore I put in what you heard, which brought matters to rights again. But is it not an amazing thing to see how ready this unfortunate gentleman is to give credit to these fictitious reports, only because they have the air of the extravagant stories in books of knight errantry? Cardinio said that he thought this so strange a madness that he did not believe the wit of man, with all the liberty of invention and fiction, capable of hitting so extraordinary a character. The gentleman, replied the curate, has some qualities in him even as surprising in a madman as his unparalleled frenzy, for take him but off his romantic humor, discourse with him of any other subject, you will find him to handle it with a great deal of reason, and shew himself, by his conversation, to have very clear and entertaining conceptions, insomuch that if Nyarantry bears no relation to his discourse, there is no man but will esteem him for his vivacity of wit and strength of judgment. While they were thus discoursing, Don Quixote, prosecuting his converse with his squire, Sancho, said he, let us lay aside all manner of animosity, let us forget and forgive injuries, and answer me as speedily as thou canst, without any remains of thy last displeasure, how, when, and where didst thou find my lady Dulcinea? What was she doing when thou first paidst thy respects to her? How didst thou express thyself to her? What answer was she pleased to make thee? What countenance did she put on at the perusal of my letter? Who transcribed it fairly for thee? And everything else which has any relation to this affair, without addition, lies, or flattery. On the other side, take care thou losest not a tittle of the whole matter, by abbreviating it, lest thou rob me of part of that delight which I proposed to myself from it. Sir, answered Sancho, if I must speak the truth, and nothing but the truth, nobody copied out that letter for me, for I carried none at all. That's right, cried Don Quixote, for I found the pocketbook in which it was written two days after thy departure, which occasioned exceeding grief in me, because I knew not what thou couldst do when thou foundst thyself without the letter, and I could not but be induced to believe that thou wouldst have returned in order to take it with thee. I had certainly done so, replied Sancho, were it not for this head of mine, which kept it in remembrance ever since your worship read it to me, and helped me to say it over to a parish clerk, who wrote it out to me word for word so purely, that he vowed, though he had written out many a letter of excommunication in his time, he never in all the days of his life had read or seen anything so well spoken as it was. And dost thou still retain the memory of it? My dear Sancho, cried Don Quixote. Not I, quoth Sancho, for as soon as I had given it her, and your turn was served, I was very willing to forget it. 
but if I remember anything, it is what was on the top, and it was thus. I and Subterrene I would say Sovereign, Lady, and at the bottom, yours until death, the night of the sorrowful figure, and I put between these two things three hundred souls and lives. Chapter 20 The pleasant dialogue between Don Quixote and his squire continued with other adventures. All this is mighty well, said Don Quixote, proceed therefore, you arrived, and how is that queen of beauty then employed? On my conscience thou founds her stringing of orient pearls, or embroidering some curious device in gold for me her captive knight, was it not so, my Sancho? No, answered the squire, I found her winnowing a parcel of wheat very seriously in the backyard. Then, said the Don, you may rest assured that every corner of that wheat was a grain of pearl, since she did it the honor of touching it with her divine hand. Didst thou observe the quality of the wheat? Was it not of the finest sort? Very indifferent, I thought, said the squire. Well, this at least you must allow. It must make the finest whitest bread, if sifted by her white hands. But go on, when you delivered my letter, did she kiss it? Did she treasure it in her bosom? Or what ceremony did she use worthy such a letter? How did she behave herself? Why truly, sir, answered Sancho, when I offered her the letter she was very busy handling her sieve, and, Piorithi, honest friend, said she, do so much as lay that letter down upon that sack there, I cannot read it till I have winnowed out what is in my hands. Oh, unparalleled discretion, cried Don Quixote, she knew that a perusal required leisure, and therefore deferred it for her more pleasing and private hours. But oh, my squire, while she was thus employed what conference passed? What did she ask about her knight, and what did you reply? Say all, say all, my dearest Sancho, let not the smallest circumstance escape the tongue, speak all that thought can frame or pen describe. Her questions were easily answered, sir, said Sancho, for she asked me none at all. I told her, indeed, in what a sad pickle I had left you, and how disconsolate you were, that you eat and slept like the brute beasts, that you would let a razor as soon touch your throat as your beard, that you were still blubbering and crying, or lamenting and cursing your fortune. There you mistook, replied Don Quixote, I rather bless my fortune, and always shall, while life affords me breath, since I am thought to merit the esteem of so high a lady as Dulcinea del Toboso. But now, continued the knight, supposing the corn winnowed and dispatched to the mill, what did she after she had read my letter? Your letter, sir, answered Sancho, your letter was not read at all, sir, as, for her part, she said she could neither read nor write, and she would trust nobody else, lest they should tell tales, and so she cunningly tore your letter. She said that what I told her by word of mouth of your love and sufferings was enough, to make sure now, she gave her service to you, and said she had rather see than hear from you, and she prayed you, if ever you loved her, 
upon sight of me forthwith to leave your madness among the bushes here, and come straight to Toboso, if you be of leisure, for she has something to say to you, and has a huge mind to see you, she had liked to burst with laughing, when I called you the night of the sorrowful figure. Thus far all goes well, said Don Quixote, but tell me, pray, what jewel did she present you at your departure as a reward for the news you brought? For it is a custom of ancient standing among knights and ladies errant to bestow on squires, dwarfs, or damsels who bring them good news of their ladies or servants some precious jewel as a grateful reward of their welcome tidings. Ah, sir, said Sancho, that was the fashion in the days of your, and a very good fashion, I take it, but all the jewels Sancho got was a luncheon of bread and a piece of cheese, which she handed to me over the wall while I was taking my leave. By the same token, I hope there is no luck in it, the cheese was made of sheep's milk. It is strange, said Don Quixote, for she is liberal even to profuseness, and if she presented thee not a jewel, she had certainly none about her at that time, but what is deferred is not lost. I shall see her, and matters shall be accommodated. But, Sancho, one thing raises my astonishment, which is thy sudden return, for proportioning thy short absence to the length of thy journey, Toboso being at least thirty leagues distant, thou must have ridden on the wind. Certainly the sagacious enchanter, who is my guardian and friend, for doubtless such a one there is and ought to be, or I should not be a true knight errant, certainly, I say, that wise magician has furthered thee on thy journey unawares, for there are sages of such incredible power as to take up a knight errant sleeping in his bed, and waken him next morning a thousand leagues from the place where he fell asleep. By this power knights errant succor one another in their most dangerous exigence when and where they please. For instance, suppose me fighting in the mountains of Armenia with some horrid monster, some dreadful sprite, or fierce gigantic knight, or perhaps I am like to be worsted, such a thing may happen, when just in the very crisis of my fate, when I least expect it, I behold on the top of a flying cloud, or riding in a flaming chariot, another knight, my friend, who but a minute before was in England perhaps he sustains me, delivers me from death, and returns that night to his own lodging, where he sups with a very good appetite after his journey, having read you two or three thousand leagues that day, and all this performed by the industry and wisdom of these knowing magicians, whose only business and charge is glorious niagara Some such expeditious power, I believe, Sancho, though hidden from you, has promoted so great a dispatch in your late journey. I believe, indeed, answered Sancho, that there was witchcraft in the case, for Rosinante went without spur all the way, and was as meddlesome as though he had been a gypsy's ass with quicksilver in his ears. And what is thy advice as to my lady's commands to visit her? I know her power should regulate my will. But then my honor, Sancho, my solemn promise has engaged me to the princess's service that comes with us, and the law of arms confines me to my word. Love draws me one, and glory the other way, on this side Dulcinea's strict commands, on the other my promised faith, but it is resolved. I will travel night and day, 
cut off this giant's head, and, having settled the princess and her dominions, will presently return to see that sun which enlightens my senses. She will easily condescend to excuse my absence when I convince her it was for her fame and glory, since the past, present, and future success of my victorious arms depends wholly on the gracious influences of her favor and the honor of being her knight. Oh sad! Oh sad, said Sancho, I doubt your worship's head is much the worse for wearing. Are you mad, sir, to take so long a voyage for nothing? Why don't you catch at this preferment that now offers, where a fine kingdom is the portion, 20,000 leagues round, they say, nay, bigger than Portugal and Castile both together. Good your worship, hold your tongue, I wonder you are not ashamed. Take a fool's counsel for once, marry her by the first priest you meet, here is our own curate can do the job most curiously. Come, master, I have hair enough in my beard to make a counselor, and my advice is as fit for you as your shoe for your footy bird in hand is worth two in the bush, and he that will not when he may, when he will he shall have nay. Thou advisest me thus, answered Don Quixote, that I may be able to promote thee according to my promise, but that I can do without marrying this lady, for I shall make this the condition of entering into battle, that after my victory, without marrying the princess, she shall leave part of her kingdom at my disposal, to gratify whom I please, and who can claim any such gratuity but thyself? That's plain, answered Sancho, but pray, sir, take care that you reserve some part near the seaside for me, that if the air does not agree with me, I may transport my black slaves, make my profit of them, and go live somewhere else, so that I would have you resolve upon it presently, leave the lady Dulcinea for the present, and go kill this same giant, and make an end of that business first, for I assure you it will yield you a good market. I am fixed in thy opinion, said Don Quixote, but I admonish thee not to whisper to any person the least hint of our conference, for since Dulcinea is so cautious and secret, it is proper that I and mine should follow her example. Why then, said Sancho, should you send every body you overcome packing to Madame Dulcinea, to fall down before her and tell her they came from you to pay their obedience, when this tells all the world that she is your mistress, as much as if they had it under your own hand? How dull of apprehension and stupid thou art, said the knight, Hast thou not sense to find that all this redounds to her greater glory? No, that in proceedings of chivalry, a lady's honor is calculated from the number of her servants, whose services must not tend to any reward but the favor of her acceptance, and the pure honor of performing them for her sake, and being called her servants. Master Nicholas, seeing them so deep in discourse, called to them to stop and drink at a little fountain by the road. Don Quixote halted, and Sancho was very glad of the interruption, his stock of fiction being almost spent, and he stood in danger besides of being trapped in his words, for he had never seen Dulcinea, though he knew she lived at Toboso. Cardenio by this time had changed his clothes for those Dorothea wore when they found her in the mountains, and though they made but an ordinary figure, they looked much better than those he had put off. They all stopped at the fountain, 
and fell upon the curate's provision, which was but a snap among so many, for they were all very hungry. While they sat refreshing themselves, a young lad, traveling that way, observed them, and looking earnestly on the whole company, ran suddenly and fell down before Don Quixote, addressing him in a very doleful manner. Alas, good sir, said he, don't you know me? Don't you remember poor Andres, whom you caused to be untied from the tree? With that the knight knew him, and raising him up, turned to the company, that you may all know, said he, of how great importance to the redressing of injuries, punishing vice, and the universal benefit of mankind, the business of knight-errantry may be, you must understand, that riding through a desert some days ago, I heard certain lamentable shrieks and outcries. Prompted by the misery of the afflicted, and borne away by the zeal of my profession, I followed the voice, and found this boy, whom you all see, bound to a gray oak. I am glad he is present, because he can attest the truth of my relation. I found him, as I told you, bound to an oak, naked from the waist upwards, and a bloody-minded peasant scourging his back unmercifully with the reins of a bridle. I presently demanded the cause of his severe chastisement. The rude fellow answered that he had liberty to punish his own servant, whom he thus used for some faults that argued him more knave than fool. Good sir, said the boy, he can lay nothing to my charge but demanding my wages. His master made some reply, which I would not allow as a just excuse, and ordered him immediately to unbind the youth and took his oath that he would take him home and pay him all his wages upon the nail in good and lawful coin. Is not this literally true, Andres? Did you not mark, besides, with what face of authority I commanded and with how much humility he promised to obey all I imposed, commanded, and desired? Answer me, boy, and tell boldly all that passed to this worthy company that it may appear how necessary the vocation of knights errant is up and down the high roads. These must be the ragged apparel Cardinio wore before he was dressed in the priest's short cassock and cloak. All you have said is true enough, answered Andres, but the business did not end after that manner you and I hoped it would. How, said the knight, has not the peasant paid you? Aye, he has paid me with a vengeance, said the boy, for no sinner was your back turned, but he tied me again to the same tree and lashed me so horridly that I looked like Street Bartholomew flayed alive, and at every blow he had some joke or another to laugh at you, and had he not laid on me as he did, I fancy I could not have helped laughing myself. At last he left me, in so pitiful a case that I was forced to crawl to a hospital, where I have lain ever since to get cured, so woefully the tyrant had lashed me. And now I may thank you for this, for had you rode on your journey, and neither meddled nor made, seeing nobody sent for you, and it was none of your business, my master, perhaps, had been satisfied with giving me ten or twenty lashes, and after that would have paid me what he owed me, but you was so huffy, and called him so many names, that it made him mad, and so he vented all his spite against you upon my poor back. As soon as yours was turned, inasmuch that I fear I shall never be mine own. Man again. 
The miscarriage, answered the knight, is only chargeable on my departure before I saw my orders executed, for I might by experience have remembered that the word of a peasant is regulated, not by honor, but by profit. But you remember, Andres, how I said that if he disobeyed, I would return and seek him through the universe and find him though it in a whale's belly. Ah, sir, answered Andres, but that is no cure for my sore shoulders. You shall be redressed, answered the knight, starting fiercely up and commanding Sancho immediately to bridle Rosinante, who was baiting as fast as the rest of the company. Dorothea asked what he intended to do. He answered that he intended to find out the villain and punish him severely for his crimes, then force him to pay Andres his wages to the last Maravedi in spite of all the peasants in the universe. She then desired him to remember his engagements to her, which withheld him from any new achievement till that was finished, that he must therefore suspend his resentments till his return from her kingdom. It is but just and reasonable, said the knight, and therefore Andres must wait with patience my return, but when I do return, I do hereby ratify my former oath and promise, never to rest till you be fully satisfied and paid. I dare not trust to that, answered Andres, but if you will bestow on me as much money as will bear my charges to Seville, I shall thank your worship more than for all the revenge you tell me of. Give me a snap to eat, and a bit in my pocket, and so heaven be with you and all other knights errant, and may they prove as errant fools in their own business as they have been in mine. Knew the value of a farthing. Sancho took a crust of bread and a slice of cheese, and reaching it to Andres, their friend, said he, There is something for thee, on my word, we have all of us a share of thy mischance. What share? said Andres. Why, the cursed mischance of parting with this bread and cheese to thee, for my head to a halfpenny, I may let to want it, for thou must know, friend of mine, that we, the squires of knights errant, often pick our teeth without a dinner, and are subject to many other things which are better felt than told. Andres snatched at the provender, and seeing no likelihood of any more, he made his leg and marched off. But looking over his shoulder at Don Quixote, Arky, you sir knight errant, cried he, if ever you meet me again in your travels, which I hope you never shall, though I were torn in pieces, do not trouble me with your foolish help, but mind your own business, and so fare you well, with a plague upon you and all the knights errant that ever were born. The knight thought to chastise him, but the lad was too nimble for any there, and his heels carried him off leaving Don Quixote highly incensed at his story, which moved the company to hold their laughter, lest they should raise his anger to a dangerous height.